All right. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. All right. Man, we have been having our fun this morning. Just It is just one of those days when you have one of those days. And when you have one of those days, you just got to keep on going and let it have its way and just do what you do by the grace of God. Amen. So, um, I want to share uh, a message with you here this morning that I think I have together. It's just, um, I guess we'll find out. Um, but what we want to talk about is um, if, there, if there is any um, feeling associated with Christmas, of course there is, massive Christmas is very oriented, rooted around the, the feelings that we have. But we want to think about joy this morning. Obviously, you know, we sing the song at this time of the year, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart be free. We all know all the lyrics to that. And it's interesting that, that, that that's a real Christmas hymn, Christmas song, um, although it doesn't really revolve much around the birth of Christ. The only thing that really is in that song that really points us in that direction is the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. But other than that, um, it doesn't really speak to us very much about the nativity, the birth of Jesus, all the circumstances and stuff that surrounds all of the, uh, the whole story of the coming of Christ. Nevertheless, that theme just kind of um, it rings something inside, joy, because joy, there is certainly something joyful about the Christmas season, although, unfortunately, it's pretty easy in the midst of all of the nuttiness of what conventionally we do for Christmas, it's pretty easy for that to go like right out the back door somewhere, and then, um, you know, it's like, stress to the world. Might, might be a little more fitting or appropriate because uh, things just seem to, uh, you know, seem to crowd in on the joy. That joy just gets, just gets squeezed out. So what we're going to um, look at here this morning, God willing, is uh, joy to the world and how to recover the joy of Christmas. Sound like a good idea? All right. And we've got about, there's, it's really a three-part message that I have two parts down to. So we'll have to do like a, a two-thirds of a three-part message this morning, and you're just going to have to be okay with that. If you want to deduct a dollar or two out of the offering, you know, that's okay. I'll, you know, I will let that go. Um, I do monitor that, all that, by the way. I know every dollar that every person in this place gives, believe me, and I'm, I'm keeping records, and I'm checking it twice, and I definitely know who's naughty and who's nice. And all. No, I don't. Uh, I don't get myself involved in all of that too much. Anyway, joy to the world, how to recover the joy of Christmas. The word joy is found just about everywhere during the Christmas season. It's on Christmas cards, it's in windows, it's on TV, it's part of so many of the commercials, it's part of signs and advertisements, it's on billboards, it's on lawns. Uh, you see the word joy around probably at Christmas time more than you ever, more than we ever see the word joy ever at any other time throughout the year. It is just kind of a, a major idea, concept, notion 
that is <clears throat> very central to the whole idea of Christmas. Um, and uh, what is it? What is it? Why is it so important? Do we even know what joy is? Because um, it's a different thing than happiness. And so we will have to take a look at that. But let me start by just taking a moment and let's look to the Lord and let's just ask God for his blessing on us this morning as we take some time to think about his word. Thank you this morning, Lord God, for being here with us and for us being here with you and gathered together and being in your presence. And thanks for this nice, comfy place to come and meet, warm, comfortable place. And uh, we thank you for providing everything that we have. It all belongs to you. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's incredible, oh Lord, what you have built and how you've used this little church family to build up something that we trust will be here till Jesus comes and will continue to bring God's word into this world because God's word is becoming a rarer and rarer commodity here in the 21st century. And we thank you for the opportunity to be a local franchise where the word of God can be presented, where people can hear and receive and pray and come to know who you are. So we thank you, Lord God, for this place and for this time. We ask this morning that you put your blessing upon our time of studying your word, and may this, may this word speak into every heart that's here with us this morning. And uh, Lord, may it bear fruit, may it affect and change the way that we live, and may we reorient ourselves, especially at this Christmas time, to not get wrapped up or caught up in all of the insanity of the cultural celebration but to, and to not lose the centerpiece, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. So, bless, we pray, and uh, guide and teach and lead us. And we will thank you for the good things that uh, will be forthcoming and result. Because we pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so what is joy? Why is joy so important? Well, there certainly is one thing, one thing that is certainly true. Christianity, as you could see this from uh, just this morning's song service, um, which I unfortunately missed out on because I was back stressing over my... Anyway, um, but Christianity is joyful religion. It is joyful by nature. I remember um, kind of a, a contemporary uh, realization that... The whole thing that's going on over there in Ukraine, right, with um, Putin and the Russians and trying to take Ukraine, and it, it looks to us, it, maybe it's confusing to you. Like, why is this going on? Why is he attacking um, Ukraine? And why are they looking to annex this piece of territory? I mean, other than the fact that it's a very rich piece of territory, um, there's something very important about Kiev that um, is very important to the whole concept of Russia itself because the, the, the first guy who actually founded Russia um, uh, lived in Kiev, and Kiev was more or less, before Moscow, Kiev was the, uh, was the center of Russia. And out from Kiev, this original, um, this, his name was Vladimir II, I think Vladimir the Great, he sent out uh, emissaries to look at all the world religions to find out what religion the people of Russia 
would become. This goes back to like maybe the 10th or 11th century. And he sent out to study the world religions. And, and, and when the people that he sent out came back, they said, well, first of all, we don't want to be Jews because the Jews don't even have a land of their own. So the God of the Jews has not done a, a wonderful job of taking care of the Jews because they're dispersed all over the world and they have no real, they don't even have control of their own country. So we definitely don't want that religion. And then they came back, another group came back from Hagia Sophia and they um, said, well, you definitely don't want to be Muslims. Muslim is a joyless religion. Muslim is a thou shalt not religion. And, and very harsh and very austere. And, and by nature, it's what it is. They do not get together in mosques and sing songs like we do. And that all by itself is such a testimony to what the nature of Christianity is. The fact that we, we come together and we sing. It isn't a time killer. It isn't just something to do. It isn't something just to give us all a good attitude or a little rush or a feel-good moment. It is, we gather together. That's why I, I try to emphasize that when we, when we do that in the morning. I try to emphasize that this is not just something that we should do without, um, unintentionally. This is something we, we are joining together to praise our God who has redeemed us by paying the ultimate price in sacrifice verses. I mean, this is, this is a gigantic, huge, big deal, right? And so Christianity, by its very nature, is a joyful religion. There are more songs associated with this holiday. Radio stations will be able to play songs probably from about uh, the end of um, Halloween to New Year's Day without having to repeat a whole lot of them, right? And many of them will be repeated. Many of them are classics. Many of them you hear over and over again. But there are so many songs and hymns um, regarding this particular celebration, this particular holiday, uh, that it's just amazing, um, so what is joy, and why is it so associated with this particular season? The word joy is used in the Christmas narrative about eight different times. Of course, most notably, it is that part of the story where the angels appear to the shepherds. And the, the angel shows up, and the shepherds are terrified, and, and uh, you can only imagine what's going on. And the, shepherd, and the angel says, don't be afraid, for, I, for behold, I bring you Good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is how you shall recognize that what I'm talk, telling you is true. You'll go into Bethlehem and there you'll find a, a baby in a manger, in a feeding trough. And so, so he comes um, with this incredible message um, to, to speak joy to the, to the world and to speak God's joy and his peace. It's kind of, a, kind of like... Um, and an emissary has been sent from heaven to hold out the white flag to let us know that there is now peace between us and God. Or let put it this way, that peace is now possible between us and God. It's kind of like it's all wrapped up in uh, Romans chapter 1 where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's that joy thing again, right? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord occasionally. Again, I will say, no, 
what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So this idea of joy is certainly prominent. Don't go off. Uh, turtle. I mean, not that I need any notes or anything, you know. <clears throat> but when the, the angel comes to announce tidings of joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, there's more, right? So everywhere around this season, there is this idea of joy, <clears throat> eight different times, major theme of Christmas. And, and Christmas is meant to be for us culturally a celebration. This is the story of the greatest birth that ever happened. And so, um, so I don't know what comes to your mind when we think of the word uh, joy. Certainly we, we know that joy is uh, somewhat uh, 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 an emotion, but it's more than, it's, it's, a good, it's a feel-good emotion, but it's more than just an emotion. And it's important that we would understand what is the difference between happiness and joy, because the two things are not the same. So let me, uh, let me give you a little, a little lesson here. Happiness depends on happenings. It depends on what happens to you. It's about happenstance. It's about circumstances. It's about you're walking down the street and you look down on the ground and lo and behold, there's a $50 bill. And you didn't see anybody drop it. And so there's nobody that you can give it back to. It's not like you can turn it in someplace and the owner will come and claim it. You just found $50. You're happy. Amen? Right? However... The, maybe the next day you are walking or going, trying to go shopping or something and you know you have $50 in your pocket and you reach in there to buy that thing and you pull it out and it's only a $5 bill or a $1 bill and you think, oh, rats, what happened to my... Right now you've lost your happiness because happiness is contingent upon what happens. Joy, on the other hand, is a choice. Joy is a choice that we make. Happiness is external. It has to do with where we are at. It is temporary where we are, we are at in the, at the moment. It is good if you have it. But joy is internal. It's about your character. You can even be joyful in the midst of grief. In the midst of great sorrow, you can be joyful. Jesus, while he is teaching his disciples and getting ready to leave them. This is, he's in the last night of his life. This is at the Last Supper. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? So here Jesus is. He is just about to check out. He is just about to endure the terrible agony of the cross. But he's able to say to his followers, I've spoken these things so that this joy that I have will be the same joy that you have, and that, that joy will be full. It even goes on to say in the book of Hebrews, right, chapter 12, um, keeping our, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God the Father of the Almighty. Yes, consider him, lest you become weary, and discouraged in your minds, right? So even in the midst of looking right down the barrel at the cross, Jesus had an access to a joy. What was the joy? You, you were the joy. The, your salvation, the fact that you will not be lost, the fact that you and I will not suffer or be banished forever, eternally into, a, into 
the devil's hell, but we will be saved and we will rejoin God and become part of his family and become a dynamic living thing that will impact and touch the world. This is what Jesus is thinking about when he's going to the cross. That's what he has on his mind. And so he's looking past all of the suffering. He's looking past the pain. And that's a great way to fix your attitude, get your attitude straightened out. You have to see something bigger. So you can be joyful even in the middle of grief. Happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. Here's a definition of joy for you so that we can kind of be on the same page. The s- joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. All right, we'll start there. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life. I have the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. This leads to the determined choice to praise God in all circumstances. That's where joy is at. It is the certainty that all, because it, it is not rooted in just something that lifts my mood or elevates or makes me happy or is, or is fortuitous for me. It is rooted in much deeper that I am living under the sovereign care of a God who cannot lie, who will not lie, and who cannot fail. And I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance that I would walk in them. I am his living artistic expression, and so are you. That's who we have become in Christ because God has chosen to take us in. So there is the source of joy. Joy is a choice. Joy is about your character. Wouldn't it be great if we all had joy all the time? Then there just wouldn't be any cranky people There wouldn't be any moody people. There wouldn't be any depressed people. But the truth is, we know this is the truth, we don't all have joy all the time. And here at this time of the season, at this festive time of the year, as the guy in in Scrooge always says, and next week, the thing you're going to enjoy about um, next week is that I'm going to bring in, I'm actually borrowing a video from somebody who put this together for me, but I was so moved by this because this person took, and and you'll love the person who brings it, and he took It's a Wonderful Life and a Christmas Carol and distills it all down into a single truth that will really help us to kind of get our Christmas focus exactly where it ought to be. So it it contains that. I don't know if I am am an absolute um, Christmas Carol nut. It is Without question, if someone asked me, what is my favorite movie? That is my favorite movie, and I can probably quote most of it just by looking at it so many times and loving it so very much. And so next week, that's, that'll be, that will be part um, of what our service is going to be. And so it's really going to be, that's why I'm urging you to bring somebody along, because it will just kind of have a, a slightly different feel than, let's say, a normal churchy kind of thing where Pastor Steve gets up, yells at everybody, hassles everybody, and then takes every, everybody's money. Now, this, is, this, only, this could only be God, right? That you, you get out of bed on Sunday morning when you could have slept in, right? Get dressed up when you could have just stayed in your jammies. Get the family and the kids together, pile everybody in the car, 
drive all the way to church, however long it takes you to get here, then come get yelled at for half an hour, 40 minutes by Pastor Steve and told all the things that you're doing wrong, and then you're told to give your money, and you tithe. That's got to be God. Only God could pull this thing off, right? Anyway, I got to get back to my message. So, the reason why we don't have joy all the time is because it tends to just ooze out. It, ten- it tends to just kind of dissipate out of our life. And, um, and the truth is there are just barriers in this world to us experiencing the joy that the Lord has. So do we know what those barriers are? Sometimes you, you actually need to contend to maintain the joy that, uh, you know, the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As, as was said back in Nehemiah, you know, like when, when those people came back together again, they were crying over the condition of Jerusalem. And so, and Ezra got up to read the scroll and all the people were looking at it and they were thinking, what a mess. This place is destroyed. We got a massive job facing us. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, um, Nehemiah was, I told the people at that time, you know, don't, don't cry, don't weep over this whole thing because it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. So this Christmas, we're going to look at the subject of joy and what causes it and what diminishes and what destroys it. So first, there are three great destroyers of joy in your life, and we're going to hear about two of them this morning, and all of these are a part of the Christmas story. The three things that destroy joy more than anything else in your life, are all mentioned, are really all a major part of the Christmas story. And then we'll look at choices, choices that were actually made by Mary, by Joseph, and ultimately we'll get to the wise men, um, that will restore joy uh, to our life if, in fact, um, we have a heart to do it. Think of what David wrote in Psalm 51. If you go, Psalm 51 is, is, is a song that most of us would never write. Right, because it is. It is. You know, I, I've written a number of songs, but I've never. I don't think I've ever written a song about like the worst thing I ever did, you know, and made it public so that everybody can sing it. Right. And Psalm fifty-one is David's song about the worst thing that he ever did. That whole situation with Bathsheba and having her husband killed and all of that stuff. And he writes a song about it. That's pretty crazy, right? Isn't it, Scott? Right. You're a songwriter. Right? You, you wouldn't write this song, right? But he writes this song. But it, right in the middle of the song, what does he say? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Right? He has, because of his sin, because of his failure, he's lost the joy of knowing God and the joy of being connected with God. And so he's, pray, he's praying to God. And he says, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So if you want to restore joy to your life, the first thing you need to know is what steals it. And here's the first thing. The first thing that steals joy from your life is, you'll be surprised to hear, no you won't, anxiety. Anxiety, more than anything else, when you get stressed out, when you are nervous, when you're afraid, when you're worried, when you're tense, anytime you get stressed out with nerves and fears, joy goes right out the back door of your life. Anxiety just trumps joy, right? It just takes over and drives joy right out of your life. We, we tend to have this kind of iconic picture. It's actually, even if you look at the, uh, 
uh, the screen this morning, the background for the PowerPoint there. And you've got on the, uh, on the right side there, you've got the, the Holy Family. And we tend to have that kind of a bucolic, pastoral, iconic type of uh, image of all of them. And they're very serene and they're very calm and everything is, you know, silent night, all is calm, all is bright, and you know, all of these things that we tend to reflect upon with all of our Christmas songs. But the whole situation of the birth of Christ had to be incredibly anxiety-producing, anxiety specifically for Mary. So we're going to think for just a couple of minutes about Mary, because she had to have so much stress and so much anxiety um, that she was under at that time that it's, that it's almost unimaginable, I would imagine. For, in the first place, Mary was not really that old, okay? It is, it is likely that Mary was certainly no more than 15 years old. 15 years old. It is also just as likely she's 14. Maybe she's 13. Now, that just sounds crazy to us. No 13, 14, 15-year-old girls in our culture get married. Why would girls that young get married? Well, at that time in history, people only lived to be like maybe 30, between 30 and 40 years old. That's it. That's, that's lifespan. That's life expectancy. And so they are already looking for life, par life partner, marriage partner, someone, you know what I mean? Like to be, to be betrothed, it would be something that would definitely take place at that early time in her life. And so Mary is at most 15 years old. She is barely a teenager. Think of that, okay? Um, so Mary is not some mature woman you know, who's lived half of her life and she's now in her 30s and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel comes along and has a little talk with her. She's not even some young woman in her 20s. She's barely a teenager. At most, she's 14, 15, and she is engaged. She is already engaged at this very young age to a young fella. We believe he's a young fella whose name is Joseph. And then she gets, or then she has what we now refer to as a virgin birth. A virgin birth? What in the world is that? It's, this has never happened to any woman ever in the history of humanity. No woman other than this one woman, this one, let's call her a 14 or 15-year-old girl, has received this announcement and that she is now going to bring forth a child, and this child is a special child, and this child is coming to her, compliments of God the Father, okay? So, she's gonna have a child without any involvement with any man, and how is she going to explain this to her mother? Think about it, right? How is she going to account to this for her mom? Hey mom, guess what? I'm pregnant. You are? Really? Who's the father? God. Yeah? Okay, this, this just, this isn't going to be easy, right? This is not going to be easy. Would you believe your daughter if your daughter came home and told you that she was going to have a baby and that God was the father of that baby? Well, of course not. It would be, it would be nutty. How is she going to explain this to her friends? Okay, Mary's probably a very winsome young person. She's probably got lots of connections and lots of friends. And now she's going to have to go and talk to all of her friends. And she's going to have to tell them, 
I'm, guess what, I'm pregnant. What? How is she going to explain this to her fiancé, who knows that he has had no intimate contact with her whatsoever? And now she's going to have to go to him long before they are actually, they're, they're going to tie the knot um, and, and try to help him to understand what has just happened and taken place in her life because this whole thing. Now, you just have to imagine that this had to have put incredible stress, incredible anxiety, don't you? Right? Doesn't it just seem as normal? If, if this happened to you, this would be incredibly, you'd be thinking about this all the time. You'd be dreading every next person that you had to talk to. You'd be fearful of all the, uh, all the results. I mean, this is, this, she's, a, she's a, a girl who lives in a local small town. She's probably known by everybody. There is no doubt. Pl- pl- plenty of yentas in uh, Nazareth who, uh, who will be more than happy to spread the story around. And so, this whole thing is, um, had to have created some um, stress. A single girl becoming pregnant, God is the father, and nobody's going to believe this story. Um, then, in just a short while, before she's about to give birth, she then has the experience, this is like within days of giving birth, she has the experience of climbing on a donkey and taking probably a two to three day journey down to Bethlehem, and she's just, she just gets into Bethlehem when the baby's starting to come, when she's starting to feel the contractions of labor and all of that. So she's ridden the last two days from Nazareth, which is way up north, down to Bethlehem, which is down south by, not too far from Jerusalem in terms of its, its latitude, and she has ridden that whole thing on a donkey. It is a miracle that her water doesn't break along the way, that somehow or another she makes it, and then just as they're pulling into town, she's feeling the contraction, she's feeling the onset of labor. Now, is there any woman here who would be okay with riding a donkey uh, for the last three days of your pregnancy? And I'm not talking about like for five minutes, right? We're talking about getting on donkey and riding all day long. Would that be okay? No way, right? This would be, this would be crazy. And when they arrive at their destination, happily, everything is wonderfully prepared. Joseph has phoned ahead. He's made the reservations. They've got the custom suite in the local Holiday Inn. Not, right? When they get there, now they're in need of a place to stay, and there is no place to stay. There is no hotel. There is no motel. There is no house. There's no bed and breakfast. There is no nothing anywhere in Bethlehem because Bethlehem is jammed because all of the people who are descendants of David have been told that they have to go there to register for a census that Caesar Augustus has called out because Caesar Augustus wants to tax all of the people of the world. And so he sets up this whole big thing. That's why they're there. And so is everybody else. And so there is now, so do you think this might have produced a little stress? Right? I mean, this had, this had to be like the most stressful thing ever. And so then they get there, then there's no place to stay, and so they are treated to the luxurious comforts of a stable, a place where the animals are kept. And you have to, I mean, we, we build them and we show them and we have models of them and we all have them under our trees, but I can pretty much promise you that it didn't look too, too much like that, right? It was probably nothing but a dirty, stinky, 
animal place where all the animals hung out, and it probably was by no means a pleasant place in, by any means to, to be. And um, so there she is, and um, when they arrive, there's, there they are. She, they end up uh, the, spe- spending the night sleeping in a stable with a bunch of farm animals, and that night, this little 14- or 15-year-old girl who has never had a relationship with a man and, um, and has never had a baby delivers her own baby without her mom, without her aunts, without her sisters, without anybody that we know about, right, in, uh, and, and places him in a feeding trough. No assistance, no grandmother, no doctor, no midwife, nothing, all by herself. Incredible story right, delivers this child. This had to be incredibly anxiety-producing for Mary. And then she has been told something about this child that, will, that is capable of producing even more anxiety, as if what she has dealt with so far is not enough. Um, she is told that this child is going to be the son of the Most High. So not only is she going to have an unexpected child, but this is going to be the perfect child. And so she's going to have to raise the perfect child perfectly. And so you just have to think that all this stuff is is conspiring. Um, So every time, that's why throughout the story, not only um, are they they told... um, they are not only told uh, to, to rejoice, but they are also told over eight times, nine times, don't be afraid. Yeah. So let's look at, oh, um, okay, so let's, let's look at the story more closely. When Mary was afraid, she chose to trust God and accept his plan for her life. Okay, here's the, here's the text. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary has a cousin. Her name is Elizabeth, and Elizabeth has suddenly and unexpectedly become pregnant as well. Um, But she's an older woman. And and so the the story goes on to tell us um, that in the sixth month of of, um, Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary comes to visit her. This is where that whole, this is where the Hail Mary comes from, the whole, the whole prayer that is prayed, um, from the, from the um, meeting together of Elizabeth and Mary. And, uh, but Elizabeth is carrying, of course, John the Baptist, and Mary is carrying the Lord Jesus. And so here's what the angel then goes on to say to, to, uh, to Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now that's, that's the same word there that is used of Herod. When the uh, wise men come, excuse me, come to town and uh, they're asking, where's, where's the one to be born who is the king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east and we've come to worship him. And it says, when Herod heard about that, he was greatly troubled. And it, it means more than he was just a little bummed. If Herod was troubled, people were f- afraid because Herod killed two of his brothers, his mother, and one of his wives because they were um, impinging upon his power. 
So he was a, a thoroughly wicked and desperate man. And so what, if Herod was troubled, but so the same word is being used that she is really fearful of this. Her trouble does not produce the type of rage um, or vindictiveness, let's say, that, uh, that Herod's did. But this is how disturbed she is at this message from this angel. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Frightened and disturbed by this, Mary wondered what the angel could possibly mean. We minimize how much trauma this young girl has been been through already. She she is traumatized by this event. He says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have been chosen by God for his purpose. Right? You who are highly favored God. Now, let let me just say this to you. You have been chosen by God for his purpose. You may not be Mary, Obviously, you are not Mary. You're not Peter, Paul, James, John. But you have been chosen by God for his purpose. Do you know that? And the only place where you're going to find that place, if we're talking joy this morning, if we're talking peace, if we're talking rest in your spirit, the only time when that settled joy and peace will begin to take its place in our life is when we are Moving forward in the purpose of God. It is probably the one biggest question that most believers ask throughout their lifetime. I just don't know what to do with my life. I just don't know what God wants me to do. And that's a shame. That's unfortunate. Because it it isn't supposed to be a mystery. And if you don't know what it is that you're supposed to do, rather than wait for the thing that you think that maybe you're supposed to do, start doing something now. Seriously. Whatever it may happen to be, start expressing your faith in Christ Jesus and your confidence in God now, and usually that gets done by serving. Right? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's what validates. That's what verifies this, the reality of our faith. Anybody can have faith. Anybody can think different thoughts, have a philosophy. Everybody has a philosophy. But what's different about having real faith in God is it moves you to action. Right? And so here in this story, um, the angel says, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have been chosen by God for his purpose. And you have been too. You were created by God with a purpose, just like God had a purpose for Mary. He has a purpose for you, but you can miss it. It is possible to miss God's purpose for your life unless you do, and I do, what Mary did. You must choose to accept it. She trusted God and accepted his plan. She could have missed it. Most people will miss the plan and purpose for God's plan and purpose uh, for their life. Um, so why, why do people miss God's will and God's plan for their life? Because they don't do the same thing that Mary did. When Mary was afraid, she, tro- she chose to trust God and accept his plan, even though it was going to stretch her to the breaking point. Right? It was going to take her to the toughest place. Even, even when Jesus' ministry begins, um, there is still this quiet suspicion that he is somehow an illegitimate son. Okay? We're Abraham's children, they say. We have no idea where you came from. 
There's a hint in there. There's a little something in there. I mean, people can count. People know how, how many months it takes for someone to have a baby. They, they had to be able to know that something had taken place between Mary and Joseph that was prior to their betrothal. I mean, the betrothal was a one-year agreement in which the, the couple would kind of make this. It, it was legal. It was binding. It was a contract. And for that one year, they were set apart from one another, but they were set apart for the purpose of getting ready, getting prepared for this wedding that was coming down the road. And so, <clears throat> um, so with all of this, the, 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 the choice that Mary made was that she trusted God and accepted his plan. Here we have a little more scripture to take a look at here this morning. <clears throat> Here's what the angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, that's just like what people said when you were being born too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, this is not some normal kid, right? This is going to be, this, this kid that she's about to have is not just going to be another kid. He's going to be the son of David. He's going to be a king. He's going to sit on the throne. Would that add a little more pressure? to the overall mix, right? So this is not just some baby you're going to be taking care of. This is just no normal child. This is, this is a child who is, who is uh, destined to become a king. So Mary asks the obvious question, and the answer makes her even more anxious. Oh, it looks like I... Oh, well. Here's what I have. I don't know who put this thing on. Must, must, must be Danny back there. You can blame Danny. Um, anyway, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Let me back that off a little bit so you don't have to read two things or hear two things. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, imagine a 14- or 15-year-old girl, and she's just heard this story, and would you imagine, she's saying, uh, excuse me, could, uh, could you go into a little more detail about what overshadow means? You know, the power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. <clears throat> okay, yeah, oh, there we go. Thank you. He, did, he gets it fixed up. He does not want to mess with it. He gets it fixed up. Way to go, Danny. Okay, <clears throat> so given all that we've just read, you would be anxious as well. You'd be concerned. And here's the question for this morning. What are you anxious about this Christmas? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it your marriage? Is it um, your job? Is there something? I, <clears throat> do you have something this Christmas that is just this large, looming, anxiety-producing, troubling thing that you're not quite sure how you're going to deal with it, and you're thinking, how can I change this thing? How can I... <clears throat> I'm in the middle of one of those right now, have been for a while. And like most guys, um, we, have the, we have the problem that when, we, when something comes along that, that isn't the way we want it, we want to fix it. That's just part of the guy thing. And, and, and then when you come to a situation and you realize, I can't fix it. 
That is frustrating. That is, the, that is the essence of frustration. What are you frustrated by? What are you anxious about this Christmas? What is it that's, that's got you all kind of keeping, keeping you up at night and worried and afraid? <clears throat> I don't know what it is that you may be worried about, but I do know what the antidote is. And the antidote is the same recipe that Mary chose, and it is <clears throat> that she trusted God and accepted his plan. She trusted that the sovereign God <clears throat> who knew what was going on was going to be able to bring her through all this and take care of her, and she was okay as long as she was in his hands. So you have to trust God. You have to accept his plan despite the concerns that you may have. That's the hard part, isn't it? In other words, when something comes along and it is very, very difficult, and, but you have no other way of perceiving it other than this must be what God has for me, but I hate it. I deeply dislike this thing, or I'm afraid of it, or I'm concerned about it, or it scares the daylights out of me what this is actually going to mean for my life. But Mary's formula for that, Mary's approach to that, was to trust God and accept, <clears throat> um, accept what God had given. It's kind of presented in the next verse where Mary says, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, despite the fact that this was going to really change her life and make some serious waves and put her through some difficult times, notice what it is that she says. Behold, I am the maidservant. I am the handmaid. I am the slave. I am the Lord's slave, essentially, is what she is saying. So let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. That's a pretty mature response for a 15-year-old girl. She was willing to accept an extremely difficult task. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said that to God? That's a big deal, isn't it? Let it be done unto me according to your word. Have you ever said that to God? Or, or, or is most of your conversation with God a negotiation? Well, I will if you will. Or I, I might, you know, like we, we, we do a lot of that. We negotiate with God, even in prayer, you know, our prayer times. It's, it's kind of, uh, well, God, if you'll, if you'll do this, I will never do that again. Or things like that, that, that are just part. Um, so if, if you have never said that to God, could I suggest to you that that may be the reason why you don't have, have the joy of the Holy Spirit? Because the joy of the Holy Spirit comes when we resign ourselves to the will of God and when we decide that it's not about our will. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, and he is troubled and he is sweating great drops of blood, but he says, nevertheless, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. He's making it clear what he wants. Father God, if there's any way, that this thing can be taken away from me, if there's any way that this cup can pass, let it happen that way. But nevertheless, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. That's the, that's the formula. That's the secret for joy. And uh, the result is it brings the peace of God and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's the final little piece of information for that, I think. Then Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So what causes your spirit to rejoice? 
Christmas specials on TV? Probably not. Social media? Probably not. A, a great meal in an Italian restaurant? Probably not. That may make your body rejoice a little bit. That may make, maybe do something for your mind and for your, your uh, you know, physical nature. But what makes our spirit rejoice is yielding ourselves over to God and then watching God fulfill his plan in a way that only he could have done it. And that is the joy, the joy of just beholding what God can do. I know what I can do, and it's not much. A couple little talents here, a couple little things I can, I can accomplish, minimal stuff, right? But what God can accomplish through you, through me, through anybody, is monumental. It is well beyond the, the, uh, the power, uh, our, our poor power to be able to, uh, to accomplish anything on that level. So, so that's the first destroyer of joy. And um, maybe we'll just introduce this one just, for, just, just to kind of put it on the table. But the second destroyer of joy is carrying resentments over past hurts. Carrying resentments over past hurts. No one can be resentful and joyful at the same time. There is no one that has not been hurt. There is no one that has not been wounded. You've been wounded by words. You've been perhaps wounded physically. You may have been abused sexually. You may have been abused emotionally. And I'm really sorry. And I believe that God feels compassion for the hurts that we have had to endure throughout this life. Everybody has had them. Everyone has been hurt or wounded. Uh, this, this, this sinful nature, this rebellion that is in us has caused us not only to be disobedient and rebellious towards God, but to hurt one another. And so our world is full of hurts, and we ourselves have hurt others. And so everyone's been offended, everyone's been rejected, everyone's been mistreated. And the key to dealing with your response is that, like, is that there are things that we just have to turn loose and let go. Now, let's t- we're... The, the character that we want to bring into this picture this morning for these last few moments is Joseph, right? Have you ever thought about Joseph? Can you imagine how hurt and betrayed he felt when he found out, when Mary came to him and he found out that she now was going to have a baby? Can you imagine how brokenhearted that guy had to be when he hears that his fiance is pregnant, but he doesn't get angry? He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't beat her up. He doesn't get resentful. He could have. But when Joseph was hurt and disappointed and heartbroken by this, he chose to respond by offering grace. And throughout all of this, God was was testing Joseph's character. He chose supernaturally uh, to to deal with Mary because he probably was struggling with his anger Here's, um, here's the text that applies to this found in Matthew or in Matthew's gospel. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example. See, that shows how much he is. He was in love with this girl. He worshiped the uh, ground that this girl walked on. She was beautiful. She was a flower. She was precious and choice and the best, the absolute best. And he, he picked himself a winner when he picked Mary, and they were betrothed, and everything's moving forward. And then all of a sudden, 
It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example. He could have just said, you what? Called the priest, called the people, called the, the whoever, whoever the uh, uh, palace guard or, or the priestly caste would come. They would have taken her right out and stoned her right then and there. Right? That was the, that was the, you've, we've all read the story in the New Testament about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her to Jesus. Lord, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And uh, Jesus, of course, um, tells her to go and sin no more and, 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 and lets her off. But there, the, the punishment for adultery at this time is being stoned to death. But it says he didn't want to make her a public example, and so he put her away privately. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't shame her. He just says, we're going to have to call the marriage off, Right? Now, here's the question. Who has hurt you greatly, and are you still hanging on to that hurt? That can be something that can ultimately totally undermine any possibility of having joy. Joy cannot sneak into that heart that is captured by resentment and bitterness over the person who somewhere in the past did you wrong or hurt you in some way, and it's happened to everybody, certainly to some people more than others. Some people have been hurt terribly by other people, rejected by other people, betrayed by other people, other people, but everybody knows it. Everybody has experienced it to some degree. So um, resentment is the most useless emotion on earth. It does nothing to impact the other person. The other person is off at Starbucks having a cup of coffee while you're all twisted up in knots over the anger and bitterness and resentment that you're feeling about somebody who did you wrong somewhere along the line. The other person is not impacted. You are not hurting them. By hanging on to the hurt, you are not hurting them at all. Um, And so the lesson of Joseph's life is let it go. Now, wouldn't it have been cool if... Uh, the angel had come to Mary when they were when she and uh, Joseph were out on a date. That would have solved a lot of problems. Then he could have just said that they both would have heard the, the message, but he didn't do that. He went first to Mary because Mary had sovereign jurisdiction over her life. She's not yet a married woman. She is a betrothed woman, but she's the gatekeeper. She could have said, uh, you're going to have to find somebody else. This, this assignment's too, not for me. And That would have happened, but Mary accepted the assignment. But it would have been cool if the angel could have talked to them both at the same time. They both could have got the message and been on the same page, but he didn't, right? So when when Joseph hears this, of course, he's got to go into real anger. He's got to go into some real rage. He's got to be really depressed. He's got to be really discouraged. I would think he's just got to be overwhelmed with his anger. But instead of retaliating on Mary, he just decides, all right, look, I guess we have to call the whole thing off. And then that's when God decides to meet him in a dream. And he speaks to him and he says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. For that thing that's being conceived in her, that's a, that thing is from God. And so you are to take her to your... And so he does, even though that is going to put a mark or a cloud or a smudge of suspicion on that relationship for the rest of its duration. Because people will know. And like I said before, even when Jesus, his ministry has begun, people already have in the back of their mind, I think, this, uh, I, think I heard something about this guy being an Ill- illegitimate kid. He was born out of wedlock. All that stuff stuck around. But the thing that Joseph did and the thing that 
allows Joseph to find the place of joy, and the thing that will help you and I to find that place of joy is to be able to take those old past hurts, take those old past offenses, take those old past wounds, just put them on the altar, give them up to God, release them to God. You can't change them. They can't do anything, any good. We have this feeling that if we hang on to this thing, somehow or another, it's going to impact the person who hurt me. No, it isn't. It isn't going to hurt them at all. It's just going to keep you bound up in knots. And so, like Joseph, he turned it loose, and he accepted Mary, and he believed what the angel had told him. He trusted what God had said to him, and so Joseph got back on the path. And, and certainly he was given one of the most wonderful assignments that anybody ever got. He got to be the father. He got to be the daddy of Jesus our Lord. What an incredible thing. He got to take him hunting and take him fishing and go camping with him and do all these father-son kind of things. Must have been awesome, huh? Maybe it was a little scary. And once, you know, Jesus at 12 years old is a pretty sharp guy. So Jesus at 12 years old, I got to quit. Jesus at 12 years old is able to sit with the heavyweights and he's talking theology, serious theology with these heavyweights in the temple in Jerusalem. So much that the parents, he, his family leaves Jerusalem. He, they don't even know that he's back there and he doesn't even know that they're gone. He's just engaged and he's talking serious shop talk with these guys who know the word of God. And so, at, and that's 12 years old. Right? So he probably wasn't, he was maybe a little bit of an intimidating child, perhaps. But no doubt with a beautiful nature. Anyway, so that's how to restore joy this Christmas time. First of all, like Mary, you just got to believe and trust what, that what you're doing and what God has called you to, even if it seems like it's getting hard and really making, and, 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 and it's becoming difficult, even if that's the feeling that you're having. You, you have to just push, push through it. You have to just trust God and, and continue to stand. Having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Having on the girdle of truth and having a, you know, holding up the shield of faith and breastplate of righteousness and helmet of the sword, a helmet of the spirit and sword of the spirit, all of that. No, it's not the helmet of the spirit, helmet of salvation. I gotta get my helmets right. Let me get out of here. We gotta quit. But that's part of the, we got one more, too, because one more is the wise men. Maybe we'll talk about them a little bit. Because they were confused. Confusion will mess up your joy, too. If you're confused about what you are to do and where you are to go and who you are to be with and who you are to, where you are to work and all these things, and there's all, that, can, that can really be a joy stealer as well. We'll talk about that a little bit more. So this Christmas, what we want to do is be able to abide huh, in that place where we are in touch with the Lord where we are sensing his peace and, and, and able to enter into this whole, the joy of this amazing thing. Because this is the most wonderful thing that ever happened. Forget about, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Which it is, but not for whatever reasons that Andy Williams was singing about. Um, it is the most wonderful time ever because God chose to come into our world and to become one of us and to share this humanity. And in his coming down to share this humanity with us, he has pulled us into his divinity and he now shares his divinity with us. So we are now what he was. We are now God-men. 
That may sound a little weird to your ears, but it says in the book of uh, 2 Peter that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. That new birth that you experienced, that was the Holy Spirit coming into your life, a, a, a brand new life force. And when that new spirit came into your life, you were born anew, and that old you was sentenced to the dustbin. Gone over, finished, dead. Now we have been born again with the life of God. That's why Jesus can say, he who lives and believes in me will never die when he goes to the grave of Lazarus. And he asks them, do you believe this? Do you believe that? That you will never die. You will never die. You may get the worst possible disease. You may get run over by a train. A meteor, a meteor may fall out of the sky and hit you specifically, you are never going to die, not if you are born of the Spirit of God, because you have something eternal that is alive in you, and that's the life force that you want to tap into all the time. To go back to this old life force is an empty, nowhere trip, because it cannot sustain, because it's going to die. That's the thing. This thing is going to die. And everything associated, mind, will, and emotions, all that's associated, it's going to die. That's why that spirit needs to be in control. I want to speak about that or preach about that. Uh, Jamie was a couple weeks ago. We are meant to be spirit-controlled people. In other words, this new spirit comes in, and now I become alive with the life of God. And God begins to speak his word into my life and teach me and train me and change me to be the person, to mold you and I into being the persons that he has called us to be. Amen. Amen. All we have to do is believe it, accept it, and walk it out. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Isn't that right, Brian? Absolutely. All right, let's take a moment. Let's, uh, let's commit it all to the Lord. Lord, thank you for new life. What happened in Mary really is happening to all of us. We are all, in a sense, pregnant with Jesus. Jesus has been born in us. Jesus is being formed. It is a great way to understand it. That this seed came in at one point in my life, in, in, in the life of mostly everybody here. This seed came in and, and it planted itself in some kind of a womb. And, and then you instructed us, feed that thing, feed that, make it grow. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Feed that new life and starve the old life. Starve the flesh life. Feed the spirit life. So, Lord, we thank you for bringing us into this. We thank you that you shared this human nature with all of its limitations and with all of its frustrations. You came down to share in that, and you have made us sharers in your divine nature. And we will live forever. And we are alive right now, eternally. And we are able right now, today, to fulfill your plan and purpose for our lives. So thank you for bringing us into all of this. And may this Christmas season be a celebration in each one of our hearts of that very reality. May that trump all other issues, all other meetings, all other presents, all other gifts, everything. May that be the reason for the season. I pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake and all of God's people said, amen. amen.